Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. And we're here again with our special uh, guest host, M- Michael Fearon. And uh, we thought we'd have a discussion on education and school. So uh, uh, Michael has a background in, in education. And uh, we'll, we'll, we thought we'd go into a little bit about uh, kind of the, the history of education, why it is, kind of how it is, uh, why is it even important in the first place, and then maybe go into a little bit of some of the, the future prospects of, of what's in store for education and, and school in the future. So uh, yeah, Michael, if you don't mind, starting us off a little bit maybe a, a, a trip down memory lane <laughs> from a historical yeah, perspective yeah. where where did uh, kind of well, we're going to focus more on the post-secondary system in, in, in this uh discussion uh, and then maybe we'll we'll go to, to some of the other areas but we'll focus more on, on that so if you can give us a, a little bit of a, a one-on-one uh on on uh what you know about the post-secondary history then then uh, i think we can learn a lot from there sure um well, this is going to be an abbreviated history. It's not going to be the perfect history. And I know history buffs out there will check me and fact check me on it and go like, <laughs> oh, you missed this point. But, you know, here's a short form of really education history. And um, I would start way back in the day in the Middle Ages somewhere. And I think about the monastic movement and I think about the establishment of churches that were dedicated towards this recording documents and pretty much in these places, you needed people that could write and read and copy them down. And because it was a great place to send your third or fourth son that wasn't likely to get land, you'd send them on over there. And uh, that's really where we get our concept of the university system uh, mm-hmm. from that idea of recording and then mastering and understanding of really um, philosophy or theology. And where the transition starts happening is by the 11. Uh, by 1179, pretty much the church started deciding that, you know, everybody who was too poor to afford school or some basic education needed to get taught somewhere. So, you know, the church would then provide that service. And as we go further forward, we start having the establishment of actual universities with core curriculums, focusing on things that everybody thinks of as being really university topics today, science, mathematics, Uh, theology, philosophy, and ancient history, because back then, everything before them was ancient, whereas now they're ancient to us. (laughs) Right. Uh, Where you start getting uh, really interesting super or major changes is pretty much in the ninth century. Uh, It starts becoming the idea that education uh, or basic education, so basic reading, um, basic math, was key to making a better or civil society. Uh, It kind of gets tied into some of the colonial ideas of, you know, we have the French Empire at this time, we have the British Empire, um, we have Germany and Spain all trying to compete with empires, and they needed people to to administer this empire. And to administer these things, you need some form of math to figure out where the money's moving. You need to be able to read because, you know, the king's going to send you an edict at some point and you're going to have to read it out. Um, All these things are going to start coming together. And... um, you needed educated people. So because of that, there's this push towards developing major education where it's, but at that point, you're not necessarily learning things as, you know, as a, as structured as you think of it today, as you have a math class from 10 to nine, which is a weird time to have it, but 10 to 11, that's more correct. You have a lunch break at 11 to 12, you know, one o'clock you have read uh, English. 
uh, that concept doesn't really start taking hold because during this time period, yeah, you'd go to school for some basic skills. If you wanted to become a manager, you'd pay for high school. Um, if you were upper class, you were going to get to go to university as a status symbol, but really you're going to apprentice to get your job, your doctor, uh, your lawyers, um, your public officials, they're really apprenticeship or relationship roles that allowed you to get the job. This really changes after uh, the great wars, um, especially since the idea of the aristocracy being great is kind of diluted and washed away during the wars. It's kind of viewed as like this tragedy of humanity. And when you brought everybody back from the wars, um, you needed some way of getting people to reintegrate into normal society. Um, and what that really became a focus on was the idea of putting people into a university system or some kind of civil social system that allowed people to uh, have social mobility and reintegrate into society. And that's really where the idea of university for everyone comes up and the blocking and the streaming of a lot of our education into uh, you will be a farmer now, you will be an accountant. Uh, and this is decided by what you see on your uh, high school's um, course selection with the open college uh, university course selection option, the U, the C, and the O. So that's kind of just a quick hyperdrive version of the history of our education system in some sense. Yeah, and I found that really interesting because if, if you kind of play that back, I mean, we really didn't have the same concept uh, of kind of university college until like the 1940s. So that's really only uh, kind of like 80 years ago, one, one or two generations ago, where our, our grandparents uh, probably wouldn't have had that same kind of expectation. Whereas now, well, especially in, in Canada, it seems like uh, university seems to be the almost obligatory route, right? Everyone seems <laughs> to need to, because you're just competing at, at that level where it's almost like, like, why don't you have your university? But uh, with our parents, like that, that wasn't even a, a major consideration, right? Well, well, parents, probably grandparents, probably not. Grandparents, right? definitely not. Yeah. Like, uh, it's pretty modern. <laughs> So yeah, it seems like a pretty modern invention, right? So uh, and and the other part which I found interesting was that uh, everything was kind of um, prior to that. You 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 got your skills through apprenticeships, right? So you had that actual work experience. It wasn't through this kind of theoretical knowledge. You were actually with a doctor, with the lawyer, with the uh, mm -hmm. accountant, and stuff like that, sitting side by side them for for months, years, uh, in order to to learn uh, your craft, and then you would be able to. To take that so so i think that's a very interesting thing where uh, a lot of folks uh, will take education for granted right but it's a relatively modern and recent invention and uh it doesn't hasn't necessarily caught up with uh some of the, the recent changes with things like technology right with uh COVID having expedited it where we're just transplanting whatever was designed in whatever the 1900s and 1940s and put it online right? yeah uh, so, so it probably uh, is uh, necessary for uh, um, a, a realignment uh, sometime soon. So I, I guess that that's a, that's a great history. So thanks for taking us through that. W one thing that I uh, often have uh, a question for is like, why do I even need to go to school, right? So I'll talk to students and they're saying, well, my parents make me go to university, but I don't even see the value because there are so many other people who uh, aren't university educated, aren't college educated, and they're doing fine, right? So so why is school important? I, I think you have some, some stats to share about uh, like uh, from an income perspective and some other, other uh, areas as well. Well, yeah. So I will, I personally will never tell anybody not to go to school. I will tell sure. everybody, regardless of where you are and wherever you happen to be in life, go to school. Um, 
get the skills, learn something. And you're never too old, in my opinion, to go to school or to pick up uh, a degree or a college certificate or any or apprenticeship, whatever one you want to choose. Um, but the way you have to look at it is, yes, there's always going to be the one guy that dropped out of high school uh, in grade nine and makes $4 million sure. tomorrow. There's always going to be that one person that's going to be able to do that. Is that statistically likely? No, but it's going to exist. And what I like to think about is um, when you go to school, you're entering a lottery hmm. and everything in life is a, a really a probability game. And you want to put yourself in the category of the best probability of uh, positive outcome. The way I like to do it is I like to look at median incomes. Uh, the reason why simple, straightforward median income is just the middle number. Uh, 50% of the population is going to be above 50% of the population is going to be below. And the way I look at it is I want to be in the lottery with the highest middle number because that increases my chance of having a better life outcome. Okay. The, the rewards is bigger. And if I miss the rewards and be in the lower category, the, the space between zero to that number is bigger. So generally my life is going to be better off. And when you start looking at this, it starts to tell a really interesting story and it tells two different stories, one for men and one for women, because we live in a gendered world. So this does have an effect, even though, you know, we'd like it to be as equal as possible. So in Ontario, because we're in Ontario, uh, for women, if you just got your high school diploma, your median income is $44,000 mm -hmm. and uh, roughly, if you take up an apprenticeship, your actual medium income is $37,000. If you go to college, it's 49. And if you do get a bachelor's degree, it's 70. And for men on the other side, if you just do high school, your median income is going to be about $55,000 a year. If you do an apprenticeship, you're going to look at 72. If you go to college, you're looking at 67. And if you go to um, university and get a bachelor's degree, you're looking at 85. And I know these are a lot of numbers and they do have additionals. It's like the exact number is like 85,000. It's in 645. But, you know, 85 is easier to remember. When you look at that in the context of the median Ontario income is $81,000, you start going like, okay. And the medium is for a family. That's two people. So for you, if you're female and you want to beat the odds of the median income for are for a full family of two people, you pretty much have to start to go towards the university path. Mm -hmm. um, seeing that the college, high school, and the apprenticeship path actually will give you a median income that falls in line with what the median family income is for two people. Um, if you're male, you're pretty much looking at it. You nearly have to go to an apprenticeship program or you have to go to a university degree to beat the median income or have a higher chance of doing that. And so that's where it gets really in, interesting in the sense that um, the things, although we like to think about don't go to school, uh, don't do it, for most of the population in Ontario's contest, um, getting a bachelor's degree is one of the only ways or one of the more sure ways, I should say, or more statistically likely ways to beat that median family income and to actually improve your life or and to have a chance of living what's, you know, the fancy life. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's uh, a lot of good points in the sense that, well, if we take that 
uh, median income as kind of that 81K. If, if you want to be uh, above the top 50%, then uh, based on those other numbers that you mentioned, really the only way that you can do that is uh, if you um, go that, uh, that, that, that university, that, that college route. And obviously 81 is, is the combined family. So if you That's have a combined both, both your male and, and female, if both the, um, the, the two partners are working, then you can take even the, the low ends and, and like whatever the, the, the 44 and the four, uh, 55, that's still above the, the medium, but that necessitates that both have to work, right? <laughs> and I guess it's, it's, it's quite practical in, the, in this day and age. It seems like that uh, all incomes probably have a two income earners. So obviously that wasn't the case. Well, that wasn't the case in my parents' day and definitely not the case in my <clears throat> grandparents' day. So, so society has shifted a little bit. So um, it's allowed a little bit more flexibility for, for that um, uh, in the future. Well, right now, where uh, if there is a two university ones, then your income prob probability is higher as well. But one thing that, that I, I, I took from that is it's, it's probability and not certainty, right? Because yes. just because you went to university, you're likely have higher chances of, of doing that. But uh, I mean, you could easily go on, on, on the lower 50% uh, of whatever it is. If you don't do well in, in, in university or don't take advantage of like the, the work experience or co-op or whatever programs where uh, you end up not being as competitive in the workforce as maybe some of your classmates that, that are in there. So I think it's, it's, it's a good argument to say that, well, statistically, uh, be in the higher percentage, you want to do that. Um, and and I, I would echo the sentiment that um, I, I would encourage everyone to, to go and, and seek out some sort of uh, schooling or education, but don't necessarily just go there for the sake of the education or that piece of paper or whatever. Take it for the learning and the growth yeah. and what you're going to do with it, because some people have that where I'm just doing it for the sake of uh, doing it versus, well, I'm doing it for, for true learning. So hopefully that gives a, a compelling uh, reason for folks to, to, to want to um, kind of pursue that education. And, and I think you had some other uh, thoughts that you want to share in regards to like diff different industries and areas and in terms well, of where you go into as well. Yeah, that's the part to add layer to the complexity of the probability game is, yeah, it also depends on industry and what you decide to study or um, what you decide to do with that studies. I personally, from my last time, you know, I started in history, ended up in disaster management and do education and work with labor market. So it's often comes down to the combination of a whole bunch of stuff together that allows you to take up what your final occupation is going to be. But for example, right now in our COVID environment, um, unemployment across the entire field hasn't hit everywhere evenly. If you're in the food services or you're in the warehouse services, you've seen a massive decrease in the amount of um, employment opportunities or jobs uh, just because there's not as much retailability right now. You can't go to the uh, store um, as well as even transportation services. Mm -hmm. So if you went to school for logistic purposes or a topic like that, you might actually find yourself on the short end of the stick given the current financial situation. Alternatively, if you went into the financial services right now, or if you went into the professional sciences and technology, you know, COVID is not a bad thing for you, actually. Uh, you're actually seeing a boom in your employment numbers. Uh, the Ontario numbers, for example, if you were to pick a random occupation, if you're in wholesaling and retailing, you're looking at a negative... Uh, 73,000 jobs right now. Wow. If you are in the 
insurance professional zone, you're looking at a plus 33,000 jobs. So it comes down to what occupation is you're in and what happens in the labor market at that time as well. So I always go for education as a whole. Don't beat yourself up on, you know, I spent all this money in school. You know, it's $45,000 to $60,000. It's as much as a sports car. So, you know, Mm-hmm. Bought yourself a sports car, which most people buy at some way, point in the future, mortgage it over seven to 10 years. So <laughs> don't feel bad. Most people are doing or spending the same amount. Um, but what you're really buying is, is the opportunity to have the skill set to adapt to whatever happens in the labor market. Sure, you could be in um, logistics warehousing right now, and all of a sudden we lose 25,000 jobs. But because you had those skill set, you could transfer to maybe manufacturing or supply chain and manufacturing right now, which is plus 14,000 jobs. Or maybe you understand uh, the complexities of moving stuff and moving equipment and what that needs. And you become really useful for uh, the professional sciences, which is also having a boom right now. So right. you kind of have to look at it from the perspective of what, what you're really investing is, is in your own capacity. And don't undervalue your own capacity and people shouldn't undervalue their own capacity. They need to believe in that and see that to actually utilize the fullness of what university can offer or what education can give. Yeah. And what I took from that is uh, so, so uh, university or education is, is definitely a worthwhile investment. Uh, or, right. And, and like, if you're going to treat yourself to a sports car, you might as well treat yourself to a university degree, that sort of thing. Um, but, but the other part, which I found interesting was that, well, you mentioned really cultivating a, a skill set, right? So it's almost like mm-hmm. really what you want to do is learn how to learn, right? As, as part of that, um, the, the skills, a lot of the transferable skills, uh, you, you probably want to emphasize a little bit as, as well, in addition to whatever you're learning in your particular industry. Because what I took from this is, is, if I took a snapshot of this in, let's say, circa uh, 2008, 2009, well, it would have painted a very different picture because I think that the financial services would be way down <laughs> compared yeah. to other things. And then if I, if I take it from uh, 2002 in the dot-com bubble, then the tech one would be totally in, in, in They're totally down. So it's one of those things where like, because we're taking a snapshot right now, doesn't mean that's how it will be and, and how it'll, it'll stay. So it, it's less on the where you are right now. If you can adapt yourself and say, you know what, um, kind of that Wayne Gretzky quote of uh, skate to where the puck is <laughs> instead of where it is or where it was, then you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll often uh, be in a better shape. And, and the other part is if you kind of quote unquote future proof yourself by learning to learn and all those foundational skills about the like, critical thinking and all that sort of stuff, relationship building, all that, it doesn't really matter if you're in uh, tech, if you're in finance, if you're in accommodation and food services, because I'm sure after all this, like they'll have a boom <laughs> because everyone wants to go out, everyone wants to travel, everyone wants to do all that. So they'll be uh, not enough. And, and you, you'll probably be doing really well if you're in the industry uh, once uh, some of the recovery happens. So, so Oh, definitely. And I think that comes down to something that you definitely highlighted and, you know, which you're great at is that interpersonal skills and show and having those interpersonal skills because that's what's going to carry you into the future these numbers are going to change by next month and they'll change a year from now and so on and so on from now until the end of time or you know whenever we get super robots that do all of our work for us (laughs) but (laughs) it'll continue uh, to change and uh, people need to know how to communicate and to evolve with that and how to just uh, be people 
Yeah, and, and, and speaking about kind of the future, so so we probably want to have a little bit of a discussion on the future of education, right? So, so far, the uh, education system, uh, we, we talked about how um, kind of the, from the monastic times, um, people were kind of getting a general education, people were more on the apprenticeship sh- side up up to kind of the, the, the world wars. And then after the world wars is where we kind of really see our uh, current modern um, university system. But... COVID has changed that, right? where everything's kind of online, where a lot of it has been replicated. But now there are a lot of uh, di- different disruptor, disruptions and changes uh, in, in the uh, education um, spectrum and in the industry in the domain. Um, what are some of the, the changes that you're seeing that, that you're excited about that uh, you think will, will really um, kind of coalesce or uh, it might be too early to tell, but what are some of the things that uh, are kind of uh, sparking your imagination in the education industry? Well, uh, sparking my imagination is really access. Um, the rate at which access to education is being spread out, and not only just through uh, traditional means as such as the university sphere, but also through the what would be considered the at-home learning sphere as well. The example is Udemy uh, getting more and more certificates that are actually really um, useful actual career-building certificates the introduction of a lot of universities that previously uh, were not in the space of providing online learning coming in and also the completely disruptive consortiums of uh, groups of or motivated individuals or pseudo, what I would describe as a network education hybrids hmm. where pretty much they're trying, they are providing um, what would qualify as a university program, many of them in the business field or business sphere, but also combining that with uh, direct mentorship in that program off the bat. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a lot of interesting uh, evolution coming out and it's all powered by really technology that we've had for the last five years, but nobody wanted to really use it because there wasn't really the cost structure to do it. Right. In my opinion, you know, everybody could show up still to a university. Uh, they could sit in the classroom, but now they're, we're forced to because of COVID. We've had all this technology before. Everybody could Skype and FaceTime, but it's kind of precipitated the, the definite tying of the two together, which um, I think provides amazing opportunities for pretty much everyone everywhere to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will just be the, what will be interesting is to see how the costing starts playing into that because now there's pretty much options for everyone from free education through the, uh, um, the MOOCs and the massive online repositories to expensive uh, Ivy League education from Harvard, which is providing the same service. And I'm curious to see how uh, that's going to play out as everybody starts competing. And competition usually brings better education for its consumers. For sure. And I think it, part of it is also the uh, legacy of some of the, the prestige of, of, of these organizations, right? So I don't think, uh, well, I, I, I presume something like, like a Harvard it has kind of that global recognition will always have uh, a mm-hmm. presence, right? So they'll hopefully be able to, to adapt uh, where they'll, they'll be on the education stage in one shape or form. 
it's kind of those, those middle tier universities that nobody's really heard of <laughs> that probably might be in, in, in a bit of trouble. And obviously the lower tier ones where uh, maybe they'll get it based on uh, just pure price point where it's, it's just cheap and, and available. But with things like technology, it, it's, it's kind of totally changing that the model where uh, how, how much is the uh, prestige of a particular school worth, right? Um, maybe something with like an Ivy League reputation, like a Harvard is worth a lot, uh, but university of name the city, right? How, how does that uh, university play on the world stage, right? Or even on the local stage for, for that matter and how much is that uh, that worth? So it, it's kind of interesting how uh, things will disrupt. And, and what, what's interesting to me is, is, is things like uh, companies like Google who, who are actually offering certificate programs too, right? So yeah. instead of getting a uh, degree at the university of whatever, I can get a, a degree from the University of Google, right? And, and which is going to make me a little bit more employable? Well, um, this university that might be known for that or, uh, or, or a large uh, company, right? So as more companies like Google are uh, trying to really get onto the education side, I think that'll be an interesting one. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously, you talked a little bit about Udemy and then obviously some of the, the schools that are putting their offerings online from like the Coursera's of, of, of offerings. Yeah like that where now you don't have to be in that actual city or that location you can take it from anywhere and, and even they have like the cohorted uh, versions where you can actually participate online with the, with the, the class and have have people uh, uh, grade your marks and stuff so it's not just the, the typical self-directed and then follow at your own pace type of thing They're, you're actually with someone so it's it's kind of more of that hybrid model which I think is is really interesting and uh, things like um, Seth Godin has this uh, concept called the alt MBA where it's, uh, it's not actually an MBA, but it, but he's a great marketer. So he's funded in a way where people would want to buy. And uh, from my understanding of how the, the program works, it's actually a lot of uh, like uh, coach and facilitated discussions where it's not really a professor talking about uh, something specific. It's everyone learning about a concept and, and, and uh, idea together and, and doing a lot of deliverables. So it's uh, a little bit more that democratized type of education where it's not like just the professor or the instructor, lecturer, or whatever. Uh, people are learning from, from each other. And um, by asking questions of each other, they're uh, poking holes in people's arguments and, and, and research and whatever, and they're helping each other grow. So I think those are interesting. And then things like, um, like Khan Academy, uh, which, yeah. which is one where uh, in, in the kind of K to 12 space where uh, it's, it's building off of that mastery learning where you're not just progressing because uh, you, you grew a year older. <laughs> it's, you, you move when you are actually ready and understand uh, what you are learning, right? So I think those types of con uh, concepts where now you, you can have everyone have their own learning path, uh, right? And then uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how the, the public education system, the private education system will, will ad adapt. So obviously that was from the, the K to 12, but I, I would imagine you can um, bring that forward to the university. And, and one of the things I'm most excited about is uh, that there are like these little boot camps that are popping up where, yeah. uh, and, and again, I think it's, it's more pervasive in tech just because of the speed at which things uh, change. But in four months, you can kind of learn and get uh, the amount of employability that someone with a four-year degree <laughs> would get, right? Um, now, is it the same? Not, not really, because there is something to, to do uh, with, with time and, and, and age and stuff. But my view is you can probably do a boot camp for uh, pretty much anything, right? Do you? Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, do you need uh, uh, that long to become a teacher, right? Could, could you intensively uh, train someone in, in four months? Maybe not the 100%, but at least 80% of what, what's productive, you, you can definitely teach in a short amount of time. And I would imagine even things like being a doctor or, or a lawyer, like one of the things that, that uh, is, is quite fascinating for me is to become a lawyer, 
you need a four-year undergrad in whatever you want. Right. So how does that help prepare you to be a lawyer? Like if, if yes, it helps for people exploring, but if I want to be a lawyer, just get me the fastest path to being a lawyer, right? Instead of four years of doing something I don't really need to do, right? So those are some some interesting things from an educational kind of throwback that are, are now you're just seeing the, the cracks in the foundation where, where other players and different ways of doing it. it to allow for more efficiency and more effectiveness in that, that training. So it's less about kind of going to school and, and as we talked about more getting that education and learning because you can learn an awful, awful lot off of YouTube. Right? Well, um, well, you can learn an awful lot off of YouTube. Like, I, I don't think there's a skill you can't learn anymore off the internet for free. I'm, pretty, I'm nearly sure that nearly most knowledge that anybody could ever need is online somewhere for free and you can yeah. pick it up. I think what the, and when I think about the future of education, um, as education becomes more and more ubiquitous and more and more available, I think the, uh, the next challenge or the challenge that is going to face is um, more of certification bodies mm. uh, deciding their own certification systems right. and setting up their own rules uh, and professional bodies uh, more so than necessarily the education it's institution itself becoming sure. uh, uh, the blockade. It's like teachers need to go two years at teacher's college or do the one year after they finish a degree to qualify uh, for their licensing body. Mm -hmm. um, HR professionals need the certificate then to finish the exam to qualify for this occupation. And I think what the... Uh, the one part that I think falls in the background of the story of education, which even my history example didn't uh, did kind of gloss over a little bit is the aspect that we still live in a very trades or um, guild oriented society. Hmm. So we have professional guilds that dominate occupations and then dictate to the public. How do you join that guild? Right. Uh, and I think, um, what I think will be interesting in the future for what will transform education is as uh, the supremacy of these guilds start to come into question of how you learn. Of mm. if every if you can access all the knowledge to pass all the exams anywhere, um, why is the process required in this specific way? And I think that as that becomes more of a question and that becomes challenge, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of shifts in education space as a whole, and. I'm excited to see it, and I'm also excited to see the internationalization of education, mm -hmm. to start seeing a world in which um, your location where you got your, your, your degree transfers to anywhere else on the planet. And it works strongly for a lot of Western universities still currently. Uh, if you went to Oxford, you know, you show up in Canada, people are like, oh, wow, you went to a cool place. If I went to the University of Outer Mongolia, which is the best in mining uh, rare earth minerals, and I show up here and go like, hey, I'm one of the experts in mining, people look at it kind of funny. Mm -hmm. And I'm waiting for, and I'm excited to see as labor becomes more international, also our certifications and our qualifications becoming more international to the point at which in the utopia world, it nearly doesn't matter where on the planet you are you can have access to the highest level of education.
Yeah, that's a very interesting point because, well, we're here in Canada and uh, we're a country of, of, of immigrants and, and newcomers. And there's so many internationally trained, very smart, very capable and, and, and strong people. But unfortunately, there's this uh, kind of uh, myth of Canadian experience, <laughs> Canadian <laughs> education, which is highly prized, even though it's it's probably the same um, and, and it might be even better elsewhere. Right. Uh, but but it is it is part of uh, kind of like the, the mindsets and perspectives of many out there. And a very interesting point on kind of that that guild orientation, because, yeah, I guess that that makes sense that the university of whatever is just a guild that certifies this person knows how to do like accounting, marketing or, or whatever. Right. Uh, and there's certain kind of regulatory bodies out there for for um, that are that certify that this person passed a bunch of exams and knows how to do this certain thing. But uh, what if someone else says, well, no, we can do it better. So I think that would be kind of akin to what, what Google is doing to say, hey, we know how we want our developers, programmers to, to behave or whatever. And we, if, if you want people of that kind of um, um, skill set, then we have certified it, even though it's, it's different than, than what these other um, certifying bodies or guilds uh, have. Uh, so yeah. And they can do it. And I think, uh, I think it's interesting, right? You start getting into employer certified skills, which employers kind of already do on the back end when you join, you know, every, every organization has its learning and development center, and it has its core competencies that it wants its employees to gain. And, um, you know, they'll always, there's going to be a soft skills one, there's going to be a uh, technical skills area. And there's going to be for my world, political acuity, stuff like this, there's always these, these fun words that are going to be uh, made and then we're gonna have a certification program to it. It'd be amazing to have these certification programs internally also transferable between organizations. And I think it's it's fascinating what Google is doing and many other companies as well are doing, where they're just going like, well, why can't we be a certifying body? Sure. Yeah, and that's probably a, a good question that, uh, well, we don't have the answers to right now, <laughs> but I, it'll be very interesting to see uh, what the future will hold. And, and I think that'll be a, a moving target in the sense, well, uh, like different questions will come up uh, that, that will um, necessitate kind of different answers. And, and it probably won't be a one, one-stop solution, right? And, and it might be based on industry, it might be based on country, region, might be based on uh, all sorts of different factors that uh, have different solutions. But I think it was a very interesting discussion uh, for, for me. I learned a lot in terms of uh, education and I'm, I'm hopeful and interested to, to see what some of the other things that we just talked about from a future of education um, kind of fall, what falls into place in, in the coming years and decades. Um, but yeah, thank, thanks so much, Michael, for, for sharing your, your insights on education. Uh, yeah. Are there any kind of parting words or, or any interesting uh, aspects of education that, that you'd also want to share with the audience? Uh, parting words, uh, I'm just, I'm going to go with my, everybody just go to school, just grab those <laughs> skills, gain those skills. It's not about the uh, paper, getting those skills. And yeah. also, honestly, be creative. You, you'd be, it's amazing what you can combine. Yeah. And, and I would echo that. I think what came to mind for the first one is that, is that Mark Twain quote, uh, don't let school get in the way of education. So so make sure you get that education, get the skills, uh, as, as Michael mentioned, uh, less fussed about the actual like piece of paper that, that you get. Um, and the, the the other part about the creativity, I, I would echo that too, where that's probably one of the, the skills that uh, the AI and the robots and the machine learning won't take away from us, at least not, not until uh, much later on. So if you want to have a kind of future-proof yourself, then then uh, take a look at creativity. And creativity is not just the fine arts, like like painting and dancing and drawing. There's creativity in teaching. There's creativity in accounting and 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 uh, engineering. There's all sorts of creative creativity everywhere. So 
thanks so much, Michael, for joining us. And no we'll be coming back for a future episode. Yeah, I look forward to that. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.